Blossom Your Awesome Podcast, episode number 105. Today on the show, Aaron Baia is here with us. Aaron went from a life of drugs and crime to a spiritual awakening. Aaron then was dealt a major blow and has made a remarkable comeback. Today, Aaron is a successful serial entrepreneur and a philanthropist. I am so honored and delighted to have Aaron here with us, sharing his wisdom and insights. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to um, blossom my awesome with you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's why we're here and we're going to help other people blossom their awesome. So let's get into your background, Aaron. Give us, so you were in your early 20s, a bad boy involved Mm -hmm. in crime but you turned it all around and you've gone on the spiritual journey. You've done all of these amazing things. You helped kids in Bali. You lived in Bali for years. Give us the breakdown here. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a wild story. <laughs> I've lived a very colorful life, I would say, full spectrum indeed. Um, I grew up in a pretty rough area in Vancouver and East Van, and I could really see I, was, I, I got sucked into wanting to be a somebody, but the only way I could be a somebody in my area was drug dealing. Uh, Most of my friends were drug dealers. It was just so common to get recruited out of high school into dial-a-dope operations. People call you, you drop off drugs. And it was very easy to get into that life. And it's easy to get sucked into that because that was the form of being validated, of having the car and the, the, the status and the cool clothes and the women and all that was just how to be cool. And I really, really found out a lot about life in that doesn't make you happy and the money doesn't make you happy and the the power is distorted and it's not real. And, you know, if any of those things get taken away, especially the money, you're nobody and it's, it's not, you don't have any skills, you're not helping, you're not doing anything. And so when I went on my spiritual journey, I really saw that it's not what I had. It's actually like what I could actually do and give and the being a force of help and positivity was so much more fulfilling than just having a Mercedes and Louis Vuitton, everything. It just didn't, it just didn't matter. And I I really saw that and it was a painful journey, but also a very powerful one. When I went into, I moved to Bali, I saw Eat, Pray, Love after doing some plant medicine. And it was a really amazing journey to then go and do a bunch of yoga teacher trainings, uh, a bunch of tantra trainings and nine, 10 meditation retreats and just do a lot of soul searching in Asia, India, you know, Bali, Cambodia, Burma, all over Asia and seeing seeing myself transform through spiritual seeking and then going back into business because you learn a lot from the drug game in entrepreneurship. And it was like, okay, have believe in karma. Don't rip people off. Have good business ethics and customer service and actually learn how to make connections and then, you know, manage logistics and deal with high-risk people, deal with people that have, you know, weird tempers. And, like, you learn a lot about life. It was quite interesting to then be able to transfer those skills into conscious business. And since then, I I launched uh, seven businesses in seven years and, you know, learning a thing or two about just getting things done quickly and efficiently was, was, you know, very much my type A personality, but then merging that with um, altruism and actually seeing, wow, I have a deeply compassionate, mushy, soft heart. And that wasn't meant for the drug game. And once Mexican cartels got involved, I was like, oh, no, that's scary. I don't want to do it. I want to help people. And that was a really, really 
beautiful, amazing, best thing that ever happened to me was, was this shift in journey into this life now of becoming an entrepreneur and a speaker and a coach. And just basically, uh, my goal is just to be a loving force of positivity and kindness. And that whenever every room I walk into, I just want to generate that. And that's the, the field I want around me. And that was a beautiful journey from wanting to be, as soon as I walked into the room, the coolest big shot, you know, king of the jungle machismo bullshit. This, this was the way that I saw actually, Hey, I'm finally actually happy. Wow. I love that. And now, you know, but what was the moment like, cause that's such a radical, you know, like polar opposites here, right. From the organized crime to, you could have just left organized crime and gone and did something very kind of mediocre. Right. But this mm-hmm. moment where you're like, I want something deeper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that was when I first moved to Bali and I started deeply practicing yoga and my first business there was an Airbnb bed and breakfast. And I was doing that, but I was still like not quite feeling it. And I was still new in my journey, in my recovery. I was doing way too much drugs and when I was a drug dealer. I, I couldn't cope with the fact I wasn't living my purpose. I didn't know that at that point. But being, dis- being disconnected to my dharma was crippling me inside with discontent and sadness. And, and I didn't know how to manage, you know, trauma. And so I was doing a lot of these little shadow careers. That's what um, uh, um, Stephen Pressfield would say in Turning Pro. And it was like, look, I, I'm doing this thing and it's working but I don't care about beds or breakfasts. It just was like, this didn't matter. <laughs> like it just didn't like, it just didn't matter to me. And I wasn't passionate about it. And I realized I'm like, well, life's too short to not be passionate about what you're doing. And it was just like pointless commerce and it was cool. It was fun, but it got way more fun when we mixed it to something I was actually passionate about, which were obviously tattoos. And I started getting tattooed out there from this like Balinese tattoo family that I got really close with my first trip there when I did my first yoga teacher training. And then I moved back after six months and getting out of the drug game, which was the hardest six months of my life. And uh, at that time. <laughs> and then so I I got the bed and breakfast and we started tattooing out of the dining room. And so I had the only Airbnb tattoo shop uh, in Ubud, <laughs> Bali. And actually that niche was crushing it. It was like, everybody was like, wow, cool. We can actually stay here, get tattooed and then go back to our room, like within this you know villa that I had rented out and subleased. And so that was fun. And I was like, okay, this is, this is the tattoo business is way easier, way more fun, more profitable, less moving parts than, than anything else. But I don't just want to do business. You know, I, I don't, I want it to be bigger than just business. I have to be able to help people, but I didn't really know what or how to link that. So I went to this meditation retreat in the Himalayas, uh, in Dharamshala, and it's called Tushita. And it was an introduction to Buddhism course, a nine day meditation retreat, silent, um, really epic place, but it was very hard for me. And I remember all I wanted was like pizza and sex. I remember meditating and I was like, just ridiculous cravings. And I was like, why, why these two things? And during, during the retreat about day five, I had this really incredible experience of this death meditation and they guide you through your own death. And it's really intense. There was like 108 people, all kind of young spiritual seekers from all around the world. You got Israelis, you got Russians, you know, a bunch of Americans, me, like one or two Canadian people (laughs) of the one or two Canadian people there. And they guide you through your death. And one of the main reasons I left the drug game was 
my best friend since grade two was deep in his downward spiral. And he had a hit out on his head. He was doing a lot less things in integrity than I was. And I tried to help set him up in another city and help him help him get like back on his feet. And, you know, I sent him sent him some some work, some some drugs to help him get going and get start making money. And he wouldn't pay me back the money. And I owed that to a crime group. And I'm like, hey, it's not a little bit, not a little bit of money. It was a lot of money. And, you know, he was we, he, we were going at it. It was like he just wouldn't pay. And that broke my heart because he was my best friend. And I'm like, dude, like if you can rip me off, you know, what what loyalty is there? What is this? Like we, we, he taught me how to drive when we were kids. Like we were, we were, we were, we grew up together. So it really hurt. And I had this deep anger within me. He ended up paying eventually, but it didn't, it didn't, he didn't pay before it came to the point where we were threatening each other with extreme violence. And, and that really broke my heart. And, um, and that hurt within my core. And in this death meditation, they guide you. And the meditation teacher at the front of this Dhamma hall, big Tibetan Buddhist Dhamma hall, huge gold Buddha, tonkas everywhere. It's a really incredible, like sensational place. Very theatric, theatrical, sorry. And they guide you and they go, okay, you're on your deathbed. But before that, you know, a couple months earlier, you found out you have cancer and you have cancer. It's getting aggressive. You only have a couple months to live. What's going through your head? What thoughts are, are going through your mind? Who do you have, you know, unfinished business with that you would want to forgive before you passed away, before you pass away? And right away, I was like, oh, man, like, of course, that guy, you know, him and my dad. Okay, we go. It hit me so hard. And we got us all through about to die. And then the meditation ends and everyone in the room is like crying, like deep. The, The energy in the room is so, so dense. Everybody is gutted. And we go back to our rooms. The, and everyone had a big cry. I, I was on my bed like, oh, I forgive you. Like I had a deep experience. And we go back for the evening meditation. 108 people walking in slowly. You know, all of us, you can tell, are going through it. Everyone's in their own personal, you know, deep despair of death and forgiveness. Just like the work. And we all get down to sit for this meditation. And we're just getting settled. The meditation just starts. Evening sit. And the back doors of the Dhamma Hall burst open. And a couple of the volunteers run inside. Or a couple of the students go, monkeys broke into the kitchen. They're eating everything. And we're all like, what? Like the entire hall, 108 people all turn around at once. And they're like, what? And there was these huge baboon monkeys, like big monkeys that lived in the trees all around this meditation hall. And it looked like there was two warring clans and they'd always be like fighting or having sex or eating all around you. It was just like such a ridiculous thing to have in the mix of this, you know, Tibetan Buddhist meditation retreat is monkey warfare and, and orgies. It was just crazy. So me being one of the guys, like, okay, thinking I'm like one of the alphas in this room and a two other guys that were kind of like the dudes in the group. So we think we're alphas and we get up, we're like, let's go stop this. I'm like, I'm right away. I'm like, I'm going to do something about this. We're, they're not going to eat all of the meditation retreats food. Let's go. So I'm leading the charge and I walk towards the kitchen. We're running towards the kitchen, three of us. I open the door and there's two big alpha male monkeys, baboons, like the size of a pit bull. They are eating a bag of sugar together. I open the door. They both look at me and they go with their teeth. And I went from alpha to 
can I get you anything? Do you want water? Like, I'm like, hell no. There's no way I'm fighting these monkeys. Hell no. And it was just like a funny moment. And then the actual little like Himalayan uh, guys who like clean the grounds come in. They're small, uh, like small Indian guys with rocks. And the monkeys were like, oh shit, it's the cops. And like run away. They knew these guys are serious. They'll throw rocks at us. These tourists are like, nah, you guys are bitches. No way. And just like didn't even, right? So it was such a funny contrasting moment because it was like, wow, I just had this massive, deep, cathartic forgiveness experience. And as soon as that set in, God, spirit, whatever it is, was like, oh yeah, okay. Life is funny also. You can go do the work, but also you can laugh your way through it. And we'll show you, we'll, we'll, this is like humility 101. Let's humble you a little bit, you know, and show you, you're not even that tough, buddy. Even monkeys, <laughs> like they'll, they'll punk you. And so I had to laugh about it. And it was such a funny moment. And then when I got back to that meditation, Everyone's like, what happened? And we're like, yeah, monkeys. <laughs> there ain't nothing to mess with. And after that meditation, I had this deep creative like download. And through that forgiveness, letting go, taking the darkness lightly, you know, laughing about what just happened, I opened up space for this idea to come through. And it was like, if you continue with tattoos, but you help people, and in that you have a, a a karmic impact in your business and any business that you do, you'll be happy and it'll do well and everything will be okay. So it's like, okay. So right after that meditation, I ran to my room, started writing the business plan. Okay. We're going to find a charity that we'll partner with. Let's help kids that didn't get the same deck of cards that I was dealt with. Let's help kids with mental disabilities in the neighborhood of where our business is and partner with them. And every month we just drop off donations and have a steady, consistent stream going to them, part of our profits. And that that would be good. That's good seva, uh, selfless giving in our culture. And I was like, that that's a great idea. Of course, that's a great idea. And as I was flying back to Bali after that India trip, uh, the solo journey I went on, I developed more of the business plan. And that was my first successful business that really had passion into it because after after three months from landing, I had found the location, renovated it a little bit, and opened doors. Three months after that, and in Bali, you have to pay the full lease in cash for like three to five years up front. Uh, but luckily, it's not that much. And um, I had to then, within three months after that, I made the full investment back and was cash flow positive. And I was like, wow, that was a success, but it was tied to something cathartic, spiritual, and, and altruistic. And that was how that kind of like shift actually happened. Wow. <laughs> I love that. No, I really do. That's so cool. And so, and then how fulfilling is that work for you? I love it. I love it. It makes sense. It just is. Uh, it's beautiful. And it's been quite a journey since that business. Then we scaled up and I did a Karma House, which is a larger tattoo shop with a yoga studio and had a restaurant in it in the same town. And then from that, we opened up a personal development, a, uh, a online business called Yogi Lab, where we give uh, free tra trainings for free in meditation and then as well as a, a breathwork certification course and some other cool stuff. And that was really fun to be then teaching and, and sharing the work that really helped me transform to help other people. And all of those had karmic impact and charity, um, charity missions. And then it was just like things rolled from there. And I really saw 
if I'm if I'm able to use my skills from back in the dope game, but also in an altruistic light with 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 something bigger, a bigger impact than just money, um, it's gonna be great. Like that's that wins, that works. Use your hustle and getting shit done attitude plus helping the world attitude. It's super fulfilling and I can live a wonderful life and be successful, but also be tapped into God and, and tapped into my community. And it's so much cooler, so much, so much, so much cooler to be, to, to be respected because you help people than, you know, respected because you have some nice shit. It's just way better. It, hands down, not even close. It's way better to have that type of, um, that type of respect rather than clout because you got fancy crap it's it's night and day night and day mm-hmm. and is there i mean what is that feeling because you know you're kind of chasing something when you're doing this drug thing i mean you're looking for something you're after something you want the clout and whatnot but how amazing is it because it's almost like going this other route and doing the fulfilling work you kind of found that deeper, like what you were looking for. You found it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It really, it really is very satisfying to find it through a process of self discovery. Like I really think that was that was kind of the journey it took on because I kind of I had to go and meet myself in those depths of um, of the darkness of what was really hurting. You know, I was really gutted over the the disintegration of the relationship with my best friend. You know, there's a lot of childhood trauma with my dad and just that was eating me up inside. And then to be able to meet those shadows and then you get an idea. And, and I think that's kind of how it works always for me is when I go into the darkness and I and I meet it and that takes that takes courage. It's scary. Like it's not easy to go there. A lot of people will just, you know, and I didn't, I just numbed myself instead of going there and avoided, you know, the depths of the pain and, and, and sorrow and whatever. But when you go into it, there's usually a gift on the other side. And many oftentimes it's been a great idea uh, or just peace and the gift is there. And so I really love helping my coaching clients with that is like when they want to start a business or they want to just, you know, live a more fulfilling life and, help manifest and magnetize, you know, what they really want, they need to clear some of the stuff they don't. And that process I found through my own personal transformation, that works, that, that works. And then what you do get after the fact, after you do the work and you get what you want, it means more than muscling it. Mm -hmm. And so are those wounds, I mean, this is getting kind of personal, but with your friend and your dad, are those, have you like reconciled? Are you all good? Just all. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because, um, just around New Year's, like very recently that friend came to visit, uh, Vancouver and I moved back to Vancouver from Bali. Uh, and it was really amazing to see him again after that. We hadn't seen each other in about eight years and now he has two kids uh, I'm really proud of him for shifting. He transformed. He did end up getting shot um, <laughs> crazy in the arm, survived. And that was a catalyst for his change to settle down and shift his life and get married, have kids and and straighten out. So I was really proud of him for that. And we were able to, enough time had passed and his he really did try to 
patch things up after. And I was being stubborn. And in that time when I needed to forgive him, I was just like, hell no, you crossed me like that will never be cool again. Like that was my attitude. I was being absolutely like, absolutely immovable in that stance, right? Aries are very like that. We're just like, you're dead to me if you, if you go there, you know, and that can be very limiting. And, and mm. so us to heal was amazing. And then my dad, he's very stubborn as well. And he came out to visit me after about three years in Bali. My mom visited after the first year and uh, she was super proud. And just to see that transformation, she helped me a lot to get out of the drug game. It was really amazing to have her support in the sense of just, just being like a force of support, just whatever you need. Um, let's get you out of here kind of thing. And that was really sweet to have that. My dad was still in his, in his resentment, in his, you know, stern Indian father vibes at that point. Right. And, after he came to come visit me in Bali after my transformation, that only happened when I forgave him first. Because, you know, a lot of our parents didn't have those skills. They didn't learn those personal development skills and the power of forgiveness and this and that and accountability and blah, blah, blah. And I had to be accountable first and be like, look, I'm sorry. I wasn't a perfect son. This came from meditation retreat also. I was in Sri Lanka and I had this idea come through and it was, look, if you forgive your dad first um, and you apologize first that could then open up for him, you know, not being the most skilled, emotionally intelligent, vulnerable person, <laughs> you know, it might help, uh, you know, him, him soften. And it did. And so we had that talk, we went out for dinner and I just apologized and he then softened and he apologized. And when he came out to Bali, he told me for the first time in my life, you know, this was about you know, a couple of years ago, I was probably 30, 31 around then that he loved me and that he was proud of me. And I was like, wow, that was, that was cool to see him go there. Obviously, he had to have a few drinks before he could open up that way. But, you know, it was it was sweet. Now, the interesting thing is, and I think a lot of people listening might think like, wow, that moment might have changed your life. Like that might have been, you know, this magical moment. And it wasn't. It was just like, cool, dad. Like I appreciate it. And I felt compassion for him that that was so hard for him to say. Um, it wasn't. I, at that point, I had learned to be a bit more self-sufficient and be my own dad. And, and be my own mentor and be my own person to to be there looking out for me. Um, and that that's important for a lot of people who don't have that connection with, you know, a, a parent or a mentor. Sometimes we got to find it for ourselves. And what we can often do is then go reach out for it and find it in 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 mentors and people and coaches in books. You know, you can you can connect with people who aren't even alive that way in podcasts like that you can go find the mentors and it's a lot more accessible. It's a lot, you get a lot more wisdom that you might not from, you know, our parents who maybe didn't have those skills growing up. They just had to work their asses off to provide for us. God bless them for that. Um, but that, that was, that was really beautiful to see that transformation. And, and my dad, me and my dad still have, or we're very different people. Like he's kind of like a uh, red foreman from that 70s show. <laughs> he's a hard ass. And I have to be um, more compassionate to know, you know, he did a lot and I have to let him off the hook and I have to, I have to have that, that care for him. Um, now I need to be a bit more uh, pushing our relationship and, and trying to, trying to get him out of his shell a little bit more. It's not going to come on his end. And I need to remember that instead of being upset about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Aaron, I love that. I think that's so, it speaks volumes to your soul growth, right? Being able to let go, let go of ego, raise the vibration, show up as the bigger person. I mean, help 
bring him up. So that's just amazing. So many great insights there now. So what is your advice to people who are like holding a grudge and mad at somebody? What's that advice for them? It's so funny that I think this was meant to come up because I I posted something this morning on my Instagram and it was just like, you know, holding on to resentment. You know, the forgiveness is like an energetic colonic. Like you just need to let that shit go. And that's what I, that's what I, uh, I posted. And it's so true because forgiveness is so much more about us than them. And we're holding on to it. We're holding on to the pain. We're holding on to the resentment. That's making us uglier and older and blocking creativity and blocking magnetism. It's not serving us. Being angry and resentful is just not serving us. And um, my yoga teacher, I did a few trainings with, I remember during our yoga teacher training, she she brought up in class and I was like, why was this brought up in yoga teacher training? And God damn, it was powerful it was is she said, forgiveness is bullshit. And I was like, well, what? She's like, yeah, you just need to stop blaming. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's a radical, that's a radical thing to think about. Stop blaming the other person and, you know, see it from their side. So I was upset with my dad. You know, there was a family vacation with his brother and my cousin. They were going to Peru. And I was originally, I invited myself. And then, you know, this was when I was in, in, in the thick of my drug days and uh, drug dealing days. And I, you know, the, the time was coming up and I was like, hey, shouldn't we buy tickets? So they're like, oh, we already did. Are you sure you want to come? And I was like, well, I thought we were going together. He's like, yeah, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, four Indian guys traveling together at once. It looks suspicious. I'm like, we're all family of the same last name. Like, you're my dad. Like, how, what the, you know, this is a bullshit excuse. And he was just like, they were kind of uninviting me because, you know, they thought I was maybe a flight risk and I was flagged as like a known gang associate. And I'm like, you know, and I was really hurt by that. It, it sent me off a spiral. I didn't talk to him for like a year after that. And I was really like trying to amend our relationship. And there I go, get rejected. And, you know, it sent me deeper down in my addiction. And I was deeply hurt by that. And so I brought that up as an example in this yoga teacher training. And Denise Payne, my teacher, goes. And I was looking and I was very still, like very emotionally immature at this time. It was very new in my journey. I thought I had a point. You know, how dare he just exclude me like that? It made me worse, you know? And she goes, did you ever stop to think about your lifestyle choices affected your people around you. It affected your family. Did you ever stop to think about you being a drug dealer, embarrassed your family, and caused that? And I was like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, okay, okay, that's, that's on me. How about taking some accountability in this situation to, to, to forgive them? Like, I understand I didn't, I didn't show up in a certain way, and I caused part of that too. So I think part of forgiveness is also being accountable for what you brought to the table. But on the other end, say it wasn't your fault. Say, say it wasn't your fault. Say it was, you know, your ex cheated on you or something. And then that that might not be totally your fault. And maybe you need to seek to understand on their end what's missing in them to cause that behavior of not being an integrity and just understand it with compassion and you can forgive them. It doesn't mean you need to get married to them or, you know, even speak to them again. You can forgive someone without even talking to them again, and it could still have those powerful effects. And I had to do this with, um, you know, a couple Indian guys older than me that robbed me when I was in my early 20s. And they were, they were good friends. That, well, I thought they were friends of mine. They came to my sister's wedding, and, you know, they were older than me, and they were, you know, gangsters. And I thought it was, like, really cool to be around them. And 
I got robbed by them sneakily, you know, not face to face, but sneakily. And um, it broke my heart. It was really hard. You know, the drug game's a dangerous place. And I just had to forgive them without ever getting a, an apology. And because it was hurting me. Every time I thought of the situation, it would hurt. And I had to realize that's not causing me anything good. It was actually in that same meditation retreat that I found that I let this go. And I was like, okay, you know, I forgive them. I forgive them for what they've done. I just don't hold that anymore. I don't want to hold that anymore. I just want to let it go. And when I let that go, amazing ideas came through. So forgiveness can be selfish because we want more in life. We just we just want to live on a better place. We want to vibrate at a higher frequency. And holding on to those negative emotions pull us down and don't allow us to vibrate on that higher frequency. So if you want to vibrate higher, just let it go. Just stop blaming. Don't carry it anymore. And then when that thing comes up again, you can just be like, I've let that go already. I forgive you. I love you. And and that's just my stance in life now. It doesn't mean it was okay. It's kind of like the stove is hot. Well, don't blame the stove for being hot. That's just the stove. Just don't touch it again. Forgive the stove. You know, thank it for le- giving you that lesson that other stuff's hot. You know, and when I learned that about those those guys who robbed me, it was like, well, you know, don't show someone all that you have if you don't have to. You know, don't, 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 don't brag, you know, be more trusting. It gave me lessons. Okay, great. And with my dad and that whole thing, it, it taught me accountability for myself. You know, it taught me being in service to my family. It taught, it taught me things. So many of the things that deeply hurt me were the biggest lessons I ever had. You know, they were actually like hidden gold. So you know, you can thank that for happening and forgive the other person and just see it on a higher cosmic level that this was all in a divine plan of this, you know, soul's journey to teach you something. So welcome it, love it, and forgive them. That is awesome. I love that. Now, tell me, um, you know, so you had this crazy accident. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. What I find so remarkable is kind of, you know, it seems like you had this innate will to make like such a comeback from that. Like you just rejected that. And I don't know what the prognosis was initially, right? Mm -hmm. But you made an incredible comeback. So where does that come from? This kind of will to just keep going. Yeah, it's funny that. So on September 12th, uh, 2021, I was driving my motorcycle down the highway in Bali and someone pulled out without looking across two lanes of traffic. It was 100% their fault. And uh, I hit them and broke both my legs, my pelvis, my elbow, my Achilles and my bladder. And I was laying there. I was awake the entire time and I was laying there on the pavement. I couldn't move. And my leg was meant sideways, bone sticking out of my leg. I hit an artery. I was, I was bleeding out. And I'm like, okay, this is where your training is going to come in handy. <laughs> this, is, this is extreme. Calm your breath. Calm your breath and get yourself out of this. Get yourself to help. And I was, thank God, the, the training I had been through with martial arts and meditation and yoga was to be able to think clearly in a situation like that. So I got six people that stopped you know, because it was a very bad accident. We're on the highway. A bunch of people stopped and I had to give them jobs. You call an ambulance. You get my bike out of the road. You get the keys to my bike. You take photos of this traffic scene. You find my helmet. My helmet actually exploded on impact. I had a nice carbon fiber helmet. Thank God it saved my life. And it exploded. They brought back pieces of my helmet. I'm like, oh, oh shit. So I did that in Indonesian. I learned Indonesian. So I had to let it speak a foreign language on my back, bleeding out, 
rain on the highway. You know, it was an intense situation. And I knew right away, thank God, the 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 practice of acceptance. As soon as I got into the into the ambulance, the first thing I thought was, Do you have morphine in here? I'm like, no. I'm like, okay. Like, Don't worry, it's like a two-minute drive to the hospital. I'm like, okay, good. Uh, secondly, I'm, I looked up at the the ambulance ceiling and I was like, okay, I accept this. Like, I just accept this. Whatever whatever this was karmically, I accept my fate. Please don't, please God, don't let me be paralyzed. Like, please don't let me be paralyzed. I promise, I will, I will do my best. I will do good things. I'll be an even better human. You know, let me, let me just please be able to walk again. But when I had, you know, the first few surgeries and they were very intense. You know, the doctor said you might you might not be able to run again. You might not be able to you know walk properly. One of your legs might be shorter. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, that's just a crazy thing to actually like try to integrate. And I had this attitude about me where I had studied enough of like kind of Joe Dispenza stuff and all these mindfulness things that okay, well, my mind can make this what it's supposed to be. If I have a bad attitude through this, it'll end bad. If I have a great attitude through this, it can be amazing. So. Just go for it and stay positive and laugh your way through this. Just stay positive. Take take this in your best and make sure when you look back at it at the end of your life story or even 10 years ago, 10 years from now, that you'll be proud of how you acted through this. Make sure that you make your future self proud of how you handle this. And I was like, okay, okay, so I'm going to handle this well. And I, and I promised myself I would. So... I also knew if I thought of it in the large picture of things, you know, me being able to, you know, get back to my illustrious career as a tap dancer, um, you know, what am I? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If I'm if I'm gonna be able to to do those things again, and I just only think about that, it'll hurt it, it, mentally. But if I think about me getting through the next surgery, that's my goal right now. Okay. And then me getting after that, okay, me getting to this private room. Thank God I got a private room afterwards. The the ICU was intense. It was just so intense. And then after that, it was, okay, me thinking about getting out of this hospital. And then, I was, okay, when I got out of this hospital and I'm in a wheelchair for months, okay, me being able to get in and out of bed alone. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. Then it was me being able to, because I was showering out of a sink, which is incredibly unsatisfying. It's like me being able to get myself into the shower great. That'll be awesome. Then it's okay. Me being able to use crutches instead of the wheelchair and like kind of use crutches and hop around. That's going to be great. And it was just the next goal, the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. And this morning I deadlifted my personal best at 245 pounds, five by five, um, you know, on metal plates in both my legs and my pelvis. And it was like, cool, you can do that. A year later, a year and a half later, you're able to, to actually get a way bigger goal. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to deadlift again let alone, you know, fairly heavy weight. I don't even know if I'd be able to do that. And you can by doing the next little micro goal as best as possible and not worrying about, you know, the macro goal, the whole, you know, the big deal. Don't don't even think about that yet because your goals and getting somewhere epic is based on the sum total of many small moments done well. So if we just do this moment done well, we'll be okay. Like if you do your next breath really well, it'll lead to a better moment. And that was something that I really had to integrate well in this. And thank God I was been been coaching for a few years and, and I was a capable, I knew I'm a capable human. I've done, you know, a lot in my life so far that I could be like, okay, buddy, you can do this. You're, you can do this. You, you can, you can bounce back from this. And that was very, very comforting. 
And, you know, of course, that was a very difficult experience. And my friends, when it first happened, I'm blessed. I'm very rich in friends. Thank God. I'm very, very rich in friends. And so I had a lot of people come and support me, which was hard to receive, to be honest. When one of my friends made a post, you know, pray for me, I'm going into a very serious surgery. And I, when I got out of that surgery, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people messaging me, wishing me love and praying for me. It, it made me cry. Uh, that was hard to receive because usually I'm the one providing and helping and, you know, being that guy, the boss, and now I'm handicapped. Oh, that's an ego hit. <laughs> that's humbling, right? And um, and so after all that, you know, it really taught me what I was made out of. And that was probably, you know, really meant to happen to find a deeper sense of self-love. Uh, take care of myself, heal through it, show yourself what you're made out of. That was why I, I'm, I really believe this was one of the best things that ever happened to me, really. Wow. That is amazing. Well, I just, I commend you for, you know, I, I think your attitude is just plays such a huge role in your recovery and comeback and all of that and the micro steps. I mean, that's awesome, Aaron. Now, so was that the lesson? Like, I mean, was that it? Like greater self-love? I think, I think so. It also put a lot of things into perspective. You know, there was definitely a deeper sense of perseverance and resilience, self-love, and also appreciation for the mundane, for the little things. Like the first time I got to take a sh feel water over my head that was warm, and I got into my buddy Dylan Werner's tub at his place, and I was able to actually get myself into the tub. You know, I couldn't walk yet, but I was able to lift myself and shimmy over, and I had a little hand, little handheld shower thing. And the first time I felt hot water over my head, I went, <laughs> and I literally did that. And then I laughed that I was doing that. That was my first guttural response that like, oh my God, this feels amazing. I'm so happy I get to feel this. And that appreciation for little things really was just a gem because we can do that now and we can just appreciate, you know, the sunshine. We can just appreciate, you know, just the little things and it makes life so much better. So when I got to start appreciating things that were taken away from me and I got them again, it, it was really nice. You know, that was, that was quite beautiful. And even now I'm, I'm in pain and I might be for the rest of my life. I have, I have a lot of, you know, this is going to cause a lot of issues, but you know, going up and down stairs sucks. The stairs are hard, especially with my torn Achilles kind of, you know, being uh, bolted back in with metal strings and all these crazy weird metal things. And the healthcare in Bali is not great. So thank God they saved my life, but it's about a C plus. It's, that's why I'm back in Vancouver now to heal uh, full, a little better with better healthcare here. Now, when I go up and down the stairs, it hurts. Or when I get up in the morning, it hurts. That's when it's the worst. And I get to then thank myself I get to feel that pain. And that, that really, that perspective shift really helped change me in my life. Because, like, I, if, I, if I died, I wouldn't be able to feel this pain. And I get to think, thank God for this pain. And that changes the pain. I'm, I'm grateful I'm able to walk and even though it hurts, at least I can walk. At least I'm not in a wheelchair. So thank you for this pain. And that I can smile through it. I go up the stairs, it's rough. And I go, and this too. I can smile through this too. I can feel this pain fully and I appreciate it. Thank you, God. And I'll smile during this and I'll laugh during this. And I can still laugh and smile during the hard times. Thank you, God. And that really shifted my life. That was, that was powerful. That was the, the silver lining in all of this was I can suffer and I can love it. 
and I can love being alive and be grateful enough that I can feel this suffering and smile. And that was, that was the juicy part that, that was the gold. Wow. That is beautiful. Oh my God. That's just really so, um, powerful. That was amazing. So now tell me what for you, do you believe is the purpose of life and of all of this? Mm. I think love is a very important purpose in life and being able to love at our highest and love ourselves and vibrate at a frequency of love and love others and live a full life of making an impact in those around you. Even if you're not Mother Teresa, you're just helping your little community, your neighborhood or your family, just the people around you that you get to vibrate at a level of love that is palpable, that is felt. And in communion with the frequency of God, which is creation, expansion, love, kindness, um, unconditional love. You know, it's not always easy to get to that frequency. But when I see all these sages and yogis and monks and, you know, the people that have connected to God deeply, I can feel it and see it in them. You see it in their eyes. You can feel it in the room. You've heard all these stories of as soon as you walk in their space, it's healing because they've they've done enough to connect to a higher frequency to the frequency of the divine creative intelligence that it's palpable. You feel it, you see it. And I think getting to that space, that's probably a really important factor that many of us don't do when we're in this, you know, matrix of bills and, and commercial capitalism, this and that it, it's hard. It, it, I feel like it's a little disconnecting to God and it's difficult because I still like nice stuff. You know, I want nice cars. I want the stuff and I want to work for it. But also, I think the purpose of life is to freak, is to is to manage our frequency, is to is to vibrate higher and higher and higher and help those around you, which is a form of raising your vibration and frequency. So it's a really interesting game to to play with through that. And then also, you know, I've heard other theories that that the point of life is is to learn, is to evolve our consciousness, and then we go to the next stage of the next life and we need to take our lessons and learn deeper and learn deeper and continuously learning and growing. So it's kind of like a school. Um, and I, I thought that was an interesting theory, you know, and I listened to this book, uh, conversations with God. I don't know if you heard of it mm-hmm. and, uh, it's a good one. It was pretty interesting, pretty interesting, um, theory on what God is and our, and our, our focus of life. So I believe learning and love are very are very big factors of why we're meant to be here. Mm, Wow. That was awesome, Erin. Okay. So, I mean, that was just truly so powerful, so beautiful. Um, So a couple of things. One, I just thank you so much for your time today. You've been so awesome. You've had so much wisdom and so many amazing insights. It's just, yeah, you've been amazing and um, it's remarkable what you're doing and the impact you're making, I'm going to have links to all of your stuff. And then second, and you kind of just said it, but I'm going to ask you again at the end. Um, you know, I ask people, what is, if there were one message, your hope for everyone out there, what's that one message you would like to leave us with? Mm. I believe it's, we can all have the intention of being a force of loving kindness, uh, of uh, whenever I 
connect to that. You know, a little mini story before going, and I had to move back to Vancouver. I didn't think I was even going to move here. I was coming back from my cousin's wedding. I was on two crutches. This is June 20th. I landed from Bali to Vancouver, handicapped. And, you know, I had to be wheeled through the airport on, on in a wheelchair. I had to fly internationally, handicapped. It was very challenging. It was interesting to, to do that. I was like, wow. And I hadn't left the island since before COVID. So it was like finally getting out of the Bali bubble after three years. And getting back to my hometown where there's lots of trauma, there's lots of, you know, dysfunction, there's temptation, there's, you know, I still have friends who are gangsters and like, we'll always be buddies. We don't kick it like that, but you know, there's, there's mutual respect there. And you know, there's, that's a challenge. I'm like, well, what am I going to be like in that field just to like meet up and catch up for a beer or something? Like what, what's that going to be like? And so there's a lot of stickiness that I was really afraid of. I had to do some work around that. And so I did the work and I realized out of some sessions with some trusted friends of mine uh, coming out was I need to vibrate at a, at a high level. And my intention is very important with this. So my intention coming home, and it was only supposed to be for two weeks, was I want to generate loving kindness and be a force of love and positivity with anyone who comes into my field. That's my, that's my intention here. I'm coming back from my cousin's wedding and I want to show my family how much I love them that I would fly this far handicapped uh, where I was told not to fly. I could get a blood clot and die or something, but you know, I, I wasn't going to go out like that after the life I've lived. Hell no. But I, um, I'm going to show them. And one of my friends, she was counseling me on this and she said, well, why wouldn't you show yourself you love you this much instead of showing up for your family, showing you love them? What about you getting better and flying over to show you you love you? I'm like, brilliant point made me cry my eyes out now when I got back to Vancouver with this intention instead of showing off instead of being this big great success it was a place of humility I'm handicapped I have to go show up to you know my cousin's wedding with hundreds of you know Indian wedding hundreds of people and I'm the handicapped guy with his head tattooed with like what, what happened to you you know I look like I got shot or something it's very you know just like I'm just a weird person and I have to be that guy now and it's embarrassing and now I have to show up and be in my hometown and be broken, essentially. And, okay, what will make that better? Well, be the force of loving kindness. Be absolutely tied into generating love to everyone you meet and be that person. And that intention then manifested so many amazing things in coming back here where it was like, wow, I got a surgery I needed. I didn't know I needed. There was a bone infection in my right leg and they got me in. The wait list here in Vancouver is a year and they got me in within a week because they saw that and it probably wouldn't happen. I wouldn't have gotten that if I came here and if I didn't come here. And then the other place is one of my friends wanted to start a business, um, helping him shift his life to get into a better better place. And he didn't have any business skills. And he wanted, he's like, oh, I want to open up a tattoo shop like you. And I was like, well, I'll help you, bro, whatever you want. I'll give, it, give you free advice. Any questions you want to ask me, you want to do some sessions, I'll help you for free. He's like, no, how about we partner on it and I'll pay for everything and we'll do half-half on the business. I'm like, well, it's a good deal for me. Let's go. And I saw my my ex-girlfriend from seven years ago and we saw each other just catch up for coffee and we're like, wait, why didn't we, why didn't this, what, like we instantly fell in love with each other again. And so I came back here with the intention of loving kindness and I ended up with a surgery, a business and a partner. And you're like, wow, okay. When you shift your vibration to an altruistic loving kindness, higher frequency, you're then in alignment with creation and connection that is the guiding principle of God in the universe. And then if you're in alignment with that frequency, 
you'll then be in alignment with creation and expansion. So you'll be rewarded, you know, if you get into an expansive state of love and, and positivity. And I was like, wow, it was proof is in the pudding right there with that. So that's my last message to everybody is with the little story of the proof of it is, if we can think bigger than ourselves and want to impact every room we walk into, every person in our lives with love, and we want that kindness to just generate out of us, that will make a massive impact in your life and those around you. And that's a worthy path. Mm, oh my God, Aaron, I love it. That makes me want to go hug everybody. Do and it. Then just, yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. You have been so amazing. Thank you, Thank you so much. It was so awesome having your insights and this time with you. My pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope everyone listening, you get all the warm and fuzzy feelings that uh, that you should have and maybe you haven't had them in a while. And it's a reminder that they're there from you. If this weird tatted up, you know, ex-drug dealer can bring you back to your heart, so can you. <laughs> oh, I love it. That was great. Thank you so My much. Pleasure.